0: It's Movie Geeks United, one of our most exciting shows that we open up every new year with, where we give one final glance back at the previous year and point out our favorite films from that year. Uh, What's unique about this year is I am not participating. (laughs) (laughs) I, I... I am ashamed to say for the first time in our 12 years I'm not I don't have a top 10 list because I simply haven't seen enough 2018 releases to make an informed judgment on a top 10. I'm There's sure you'll be
1: able to comment on some of the ones that we I'll
0: we've tell you what up. though. By next year I'll be up on my uh,
1: 2018 <laughs> movies. I promise. <laughs> we'll be hearing about them all through 2019.
0: That's right. Exactly. So no, we're no. all in agreement. I I think we're all in agreement that uh at least for the two of you who have actually seen movies that came out this year not last year we're all in agreement that 2018 was a very good year for movies uh, for the most part correct
1: incredibly great year i like think I, so i have at least i have at least enough movies to make a top 40 list which i will publish on filmicability once this show drops but uh yeah i've seen i've seen over Oh, probably over 500 movies this year, and uh, uh, easily 100 and 150 of them from this from this particular year, and the rest of them from previous years. But uh, yeah, uh, I've yeah, I've it's a terrific year. I mean, it, mm-hmm. this gives you faith in movies again, you know. Whereas past years have uh, left us wanting a little bit more. So,
0: and tell me what you guys think of the the ratio in, in terms of your favorite movies of the year the ratio between studio and indies is it about where it always is or
1: i i think it's uh, well i uh, you know there's i think it's about half and half i'd say half and half indies that's
0: not, that's not bad yeah
1: it's not bad studios are getting better and i think they're getting a little bit more adventurous and uh and I think uh I think the current uh climate and uh in terms of uh in terms of the social health of the of the US and the world uh, uh has encouraged people to reach out to other areas that haven't been explored. And I think it's really great too there's a lot more um a lot more, you know, uh a lot more diverse filmmakers are are doing stuff. You know, there's a lot more female filmmakers and uh, people of color making movies, and so that means different choices and and fresher fresher tales.
0: Fresher perspectives, yeah. yeah. Yes. I think uh, we're probably, hopefully, only going to... This is just the beginning of that trend. Yes. Hopefully that will uh, become a lot more commonplace. Yes. In the coming months and years. Okay, so... Top ten for each of you guys. Uh you got about five to ten minutes to talk about each title so we can fit this all in a four hour show. <laughs> <laughs> it's an epic. I'll let I I'll let uh doing, I started doing the math man, and I was like, Okay, twenty movies. They talk about each one for ten minutes, so it's like two hundred minutes.
1: So yeah. Bunch,
0: okay. So do we want I'll, Adam to start? I'll out let with? Adam go. Yes. Well okay. I'm not
2: gonna Number go with ten Adam. Okay, well, I won't go that long on each one of mine, but but I.
0: Oh, that's what I heard about you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No staying power. Uh, There you go. Uh, I do want to start out though by saying that my top, my favorite, all my favorite movie of the entire year was a film from 2017 that we didn't get to see in time for the last show.
1: I have a 2017 title in my top ten.
2: So. And so I have to say that my, my favorite film uh, that I saw in a theater this uh, this past year in 2018 was Phantom Thread, which I just uh, loved. Uh, yes, that doesn't count. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I know it doesn't count, but I couldn't yeah. talk about it last year because I hadn't seen it. So it's in that gray area, and so I, yeah. I just had to if that could, say if it. If that had come
0: out in 2018, 2018, it would still be your favorite film if, if it came out in this this past year too, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. That would be my favorite. Well, Since it's, that's it's a masterpiece. That gl- yeah, it is. And it's in that gray area. And it was the only movie I saw twice in the theater this past year. But mm-hmm. anyway, I I digress. So anyway, moving on you, to my legitimate that uh, topic. that should
1: be the your uh, your uh, autobiographical uh, title. You know, I digress. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that in every every every, yeah. every show. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the title of my no, of... the title of my autobiography is just "This Look Infected." That's,
1: that's <laughs> what uh, I'm going
2: <laughs> Mine will um...
1: be
0: "Original Finnick.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, Adam, <laughs> you're number ten.
2: Yep, my ten, my number ten is I. I there's always a curveball in there, and so I guess this would be the obligatory curveball,
0: <laughs> and mm-hmm. it would
2: be uh, Jane Fonda in Five Acts, which was released theatrically oh. in New York and uh, L.A. But uh, made its debut on HBO, I think, in September. Uh, I thought I knew all there was to know about Jane Fonda. I mean, I've read the books, I've seen, you know, the interviews, and like we all have. And it's like, ah, eh, there's not much to that I don't know. Well, this movie taught me that there's a lot I didn't know, and um, I just found it to be an incredibly moving portrait of. Uh, and very unflinchingly honest portrait of Jane Fonda, and yeah. uh, very extremely well made. Um, there's lots of great archival footage, but um, you know, you just got a real sense of her in a way that I had not before. And uh, and and it's I thought the second half of it was even though it's a strong first half, but but it just gets better as it goes on and on and on. And it's just um, I just thought it was terrific. And so I, I guess of The ones in my top ten, that would be probably the biggest surprise for most people. I'm sure it probably won't make a lot of lists, but I just, I really, really enjoyed Jane Fonda in five acts.
3: Jane Fonda. One of Hollywood's most exciting new stars.
2: There's a
0: lot of uh, hostility towards you. Would you have done anything differently?
3: This is the beginning of my last act. In order to know how to go forward, I'm going to have to know where I've been.
0: Uh, you know, outside of "Won't You Be My Neighbor," it was the most moving portrait kind of documentary that I saw last year. Because she, and it's good that it's in five acts because her understanding, the lessons that she's learned, are cumulative, and so it, they increase over the years. And, and 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 you know, I I love the fact that it's it's not only her story, which is. Filled with all personal anecdotes about Relationships with family and how you Learn from them how you move on from bad Relationships and You know her life lessons but it's also In some ways a story of America Because she was Embedded in American politics In a very controversial way for most of her life The one The one problem I have with this movie And I don't know if it's a fair problem because I think Jane Fonda pretty much dictated The structure of the movie Mm. But I was surprised that such an independent woman was defining the stages of her life by the men she was men with. Men she was with, yeah. Mm. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And I was like, that's just so odd. But, yeah, I'm sure that she wanted to take that approach. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, she was with a lot of, uh, you know, had serious relationships with a lot of uh, very powerful men. So, uh, but, um that uh, changed her life. I mean, uh, you know, political act- activists and and big businessmen and so forth. So, uh, yeah, I could totally understand that and um yeah, it, it would be interesting to see this. I have not seen it. So, I I will take a look at it.
2: Yeah, highly recommended. And good. I thought her her uh, reunion with uh Ted Turner at the end of the movie is uh really Oh, great. I
1: would I would like to. Uh, very brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> very, very
0: I I, I I was surprised how emotional I got that, uh, oh, towards the end of that movie. Yeah. You
1: know, yeah. Well, they okay, they're, they were a great couple. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um. I mean, my relationship was color colorized, and uh, you know, it was fine. <laughs> it wasn't as good as the black and white version. But. <laughs> okay, Adam. Oh, okay, Dean. I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um. My top ten uh, is probably uh, my my tenth listing my top 10 is probably the best horror movie that i've seen since uh and i'm a huge fan of this one uh rob zombies uh uh, lords of salem uh which was uh you know released in the early 2000s and um so it's been a little while since i've really liked that horror movie this much and i really think that this movie would be great on a double bill with uh with lords of salem and that's uh hereditary very Osh oster's uh um uh, debut feature he's been making movies since 2011 making shorts and so forth but this is his uh debut feature and what a debut man uh <clears throat> i've always said that horror movies are best when they're cloaked in darkness and silence because uh those are scary so uh uh I uh loved this movie. The first time I watched it, I didn't because I was distracted, but uh seeing it again at home in the darkness was really I thought it was a very terrifying film. Uh it's a, <clears throat> you know, it's a it's a normal life uh a, well, sort of an abnormal life uh, uh eating up its uh, lead character, of course played by Tony Collette, and um and uh, it comes to a surprising conclusion, one of the best endings for in, in a, in a movie in a long time, and uh, uh, especially a horror film. And uh, I just found myself uh, continually amazed by its uh, visual inventiveness and, uh, and uh, its uh, just incredible uh, devotion to what makes horror movies great. And um, I really thought it was incredibly well made, incredible art direction, and uh, cinematography, and uh, scoring, and, and a really good uh, cast, small cast, uh, including Tony Collette and uh, Gabriel Byrne as the husband, and Millie Shapiro and Alex Wolff as their, their kids. I just thought everything about it was was incredibly, incredibly uh, memorable. It's, if you've ever seen it, you will never forget it. Uh, a lot of a lot of people like to talk about its most shocking scenes It's the best, but I like I like a lot of the uh, quieter uh, transitions from those scenes that I think are so visually inventive. I mean, there's really good effects in this movie, uh, makeup and uh, mm-hmm. visual effects, and um, wow. I mean, it's it's a stunner. Sneer at you? I don't ever sneer at no. you.
3: Oh, <laughs> sweetie, you don't have to. You get your point across. Okay, so fine, then say what you want to say then. Hey, Dad. I don't want to say anything. I've tried saying Okay, anything. so try again and release yourself. Oh, release you, you mean? Yeah, fine, release me. Just say it. Just fucking say don't it. Don't you swear at me, you little shit. Don't you ever raise your voice at me. I am your mother. Do you understand? All I do is worry and slave and defend you. And all I get back is that fucking face on your face. So full of disdain and resentment and always so annoyed. Well, now your sister is dead. And I know you miss her. And I know it was an accident. And I know you're in pain. And I wish I could take that away for you. I wish I could shield you from the knowledge that you did what you did. But your sister is dead.
0: Every year, there's like a a, um, couple of movies that come out. Um, You know, it's... uh, (coughs) Like Tony Macklin always says, Jamie, you're a critic. You should. And I said, I'm not a critic. Like a critic uh, has to have something to say about every movie they see. And uh, and a lot of movies I see, I have nothing to say about them. <laughs> Those are not good blah. But uh, uh, Hereditary, I walked out of and I had a point of view about that movie. Uh, it crystallized in my mind what I f- thought the movie was about. And and in, and in, in everything in the movie, all the effects and performances and the huh, the head scratchers, all of them are in the service of the theme of mental illness. Yeah, um, I mean, right to the idea that a lot of people lose their heads in the movie, <laughs> to the idea of the conclusion of the movie where it has been passed down to the son as a sickness, and he is anointed the carrier of this sickness now. Mm-hmm. I mean I I I saw the whole movie I read the whole movie
1: mm-hmm. and
0: uh and it's so refreshing to have a movie that you can read. <laughs> yeah, in so, a way uh, it was
1: sort of like a novel on film. It had a very novelistic uh approach to its uh to its setting and characters and uh which was different for a horror film and uh I just have, I just felt that it was uh, incredibly smart. And I've seen yeah. it now three times, <laughs> and uh, you know it's on it's on Prime right now. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out and cut off all the lights and uh, and prepare to be uh, prepare to be dumbfounded. And and, and if and the
0: academy, if the academy had any balls, they'd nominate Tony Collette because that is one of yeah. the year's top performances. I'll it is
1: It I'll is. It's comparable. It's very much comparable, and it would make a good double bill with. Uh, um, uh, Robert Altman's *Images*, uh, which is about a woman losing her mind, uh, played by Susanna York, and I think that that and *Hereditary* could, could uh, on a double bill, could uh, pretty well send you down a, a path of <laughs> insanity. <Wow. laughs>
0: that, that's, a, that's a great Saturday night. Yeah,
1: yeah, that is. <laughs> it is. Be a lot of screaming.
2: Adam, what is your number nine? Number nine. My number nine would be Vice, Uh, the biopic of our former vice president, Dick Cheney, of course. Um, You know, this is uh, – the performance is terrific, of course. I probably don't need to say that. That's obvious. Christian Bale is just – it's so good that, as I've previously stated – but when you're watching the film, you are so wrapped up in his performance that you have to remind yourself to pay attention to what they're actually – what's going on in, in the movie because you're right. looking at his, his tics and mannerisms and everything he's got going on. So You have
1: to remind yourself that that's not really Dick Cheney. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so,
2: exactly, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah so – but it, it's an interesting biopic because it's, it's hilarious at times. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, – Tricks cinematic tricks that Adam McKay comes up with that that are really interesting, how he integrates them into the movie, uh but it's also frightening, <laughs> oh by the time it's over it's it's really scary uh when you take stock of what happened during those years and and what he orchestrated. And uh, it's it's pretty sobering. (laughs) So this is you know this is a movie you can laugh at and be scared at uh, in equal amounts. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I I I I think it's it's really well done, and there's a lot to embrace there. Amy Adams is terrific, also as 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 his wife, and um, you know. So Vice is my number nine.
1: I love it. I do love it. Mm -hmm. I'll talk about it later. But uh it's it's a fantastic film. Mhm. I think it uh, deserves uh comparison to uh Oliver Stone's work in the early nineties. Um and I think it's heavily influenced by Stone. Um Well
2: it, it's edited by Hank Corwin too, we wanna to remind people who did natural born killers and Nixon and so yeah. you know, he there is an Oliver Stone connection there.
1: Yeah, you can Ooh. feel it.
2: Yeah.
1: You can feel it there. Um my number nine movie is eighth grade, Bo Burnham's debut film, uh debut film from a uh uh famous YouTuber. Uh and I think uh him uh having that experience and also uh the experience of being a comedian. Of course he was in uh, the big sick uh, a couple years ago. Um he uh he's obviously taken that experience uh being uh in that chair to uh to understand what teenage girls are going through and you wouldn't think a man like this, I guess, would uh know very much about that subject, but um through uh through Elsie Fisher's incredible debut well it's not her debut, but it's it's a breakthrough performance uh for her and uh through that uh and uh through that performance, I think he, you really get that he understands. And uh, uh, what, I mean, she is so incredible. Elsie Fisher is so incredible in this movie. Uh, it's uh, it's it's shocking, you know. Uh, and beautiful uh, editing and cinematography all the way through and art direction even and uh, incredible use of music. And uh it takes you certain places that are incredibly joyous and I think it I think it has so much insight into what's going on today. You know, the way the the, <clears throat> the father continually tries to get through to her and she's obsessed with the internet of course and of course she, she has a internet show that she puts on and those scenes are uh really, really insightful and uh her difficulty in talking to him uh he's great in it played Josh Hamilton and um oh wow it was just, it just blew me away that the whole uh, the whole scene with Orinoco Flow the uh, Inya uh song that whole scene was uh you know knocked not my socks off and I, I said oh man we're really in for something great now but that movie <clears throat> Uh, which I've now seen two or three times, is uh, is really, really, really... It just stuns me. It's a stunning movie. Uh, Elsie Fisher is so terrific in it. She absolutely deserves an Oscar nomination, too, and I think he, he deserves one, at least for his script, if not his direction. But, uh, wow, Eighth Grade is something else. If you have not seen that got to go out and see it it's really something so that's number nine for me
2: yeah it'll it'll come up on my list again uh later on as we move up the list but it was it was interesting for me to see it by myself as i did when it came out and and then to see it with my son who's 17 and he's obviously in that age range g- general age range you know so he uh, it was interesting to get his take on it as well to see how accurate it was and he said it was spot on um, mm-hmm. that was just absolutely he said he got all the details right and and that he, he dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's so so it was interesting to see it from his perspective as well mm-hmm. as from my own So um, I don't yeah. know It's uh,
0: it's, been, it's been so long since I've been a teenage girl so I, I don't know
2: <laughs> <laughs> things have changed <laughs> they yeah. sure have yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, All right, Adam. Uh, number deal. eight for for me. Number eight uh, is a uh, green book. Now I'll go into this and say that uh, there's not much subtlety in this film. <laughs> we've talked about it before. It's it's kind of a um, somewhat of a um, rehash of the same basic story thread that we've seen in Driving Miss Daisy. But those performances by Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali are just so good in this movie. Uh, Mahershala Ali, of course, you know, he plays a, a jazz mu- musician in the 50s, uh, African-American jazz musician going through the, um, you know, traveling through the South and at a time when, you know, African-Americans could not stay in just any hotel in the, in the Southeastern United States. And so Viggo Mortensen, of course, is his driver that's helping him to find the places that are safe to stay in. And uh, I just really loved the performances of both of them. And I, I knew watching it that, you know, it, it kind of hits you over the head with, they bludgeon all the points they want to get across. But those, like I said, I just w- loved watching them at work so much that it just kind of compensated for any kind of shortcomings that that might have been inherent in the delivery of the films message or whatever. So I just really enjoyed it on that level, on a performance level if nothing else. And of course Mahershala Ali just does an incredible job uh with the, the jazz, you know, his his uh miming pretending to play the piano. Yeah <laughs> exactly Yeah,
1: I thought he was really playing it and yeah. uh yeah. and uh that was just you know, sometimes what they do this trick where they, they just don't show the hands or anything yeah, and yes. uh and when you're seeing him actually, you know, behind the piano, you think, man, he can yeah. play the piano really well. So it yeah. was it was really brilliant. And um,
2: it, yes, absolutely. And so I, I on that level, if nothing else, I, I certainly enjoyed it. And um, you know, so well, that's my number eight, Green Book. You
0: know, the, there is a pleasure in seeing a formula film, which I uh, I guess Green Book is. It's a movie that goes by a certain formula that we're all familiar mm-hmm. with. But there's a pleasure in seeing that kind of film done extremely well. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've had mm-hmm. we've had examples of this throughout the history of our show where we've talked about, you know, there's nothing particularly surprising about the movie, but the performances and seeing the interaction between two performers mm-hmm. is what makes it so special. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I would assume Green Book is probably like that. I mean, a movie for me, like, <clears throat> you know, I don't think the movie – something's got to give is very good but i think diane keaton and jack nicholson interacting for two hours is that makes it (laughs) worth it
1: yes yeah yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely
1: for sure uh eight uh this this movie didn't make my uh i didn't make my top 20 but it's definitely in the 30s or so and uh i uh you know, it's so surprising coming from Peter Farrelly and uh, yeah. his faith on these new uh, screenwriters who were, uh, I think, related, to, uh, at least a couple of them were related to the guy that, uh, you know, Tony Fish or uh, whatever his name was that was uh, uh, portrayed in the movie, uh, who was a cast member on The Sopranos uh, for a while, um, uh I just uh, I think that their uh connection to uh to the real person I think made their uh their script really pop and uh I think that uh worked in favor for the performers. herschel Ali is the reason to watch the movie I think uh more more over than uh, than Viggo Mortensen who's very good in it but it's a little bit of a clichéd performance for me. Uh a little bit too uh he, I think he went back to the Sopranos rule book a little bit too much. But uh but I, I love Marshall Ali and it. He's just so he's so uh moving in that role. Uh and uh and um uh, Linda Cardellini is the wife, uh and uh, all the supporting performances and all of the period detail and the music in it is perfect. And um you know
0: so let me ask you this do you guys think its <clears throat> its stock as a Best Picture nominee has risen? Mm.
2: Mm. That's a good question.
0: It's, ha- it's hard to say. There's so many good
1: movies out there that uh, it's hard to say. But I think that it's, it's built for uh, Oscar consideration, so it probably will make it in. Because it, yeah. really, it is really well-made and well-cast and everything, so.
0: Because in terms of the audience movies, it seems to be between Green Green Book and The Stars Born. And mm-hmm. yeah. for whatever reason, I don't put much stock in the Globes, but there does seem to be a feeling that Green Book is edging a little bit.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm,
1: yeah, maybe. I'm not sure how it's doing at the box office, uh, but it's picking up a little bit more as it as it adds uh, cities and so forth, So yeah. as it goes a little wider. But and I think uh, – audiences are going to love it you know oh
2: they do yeah yeah i've talked to a lot of mainstream people audience people that are in my universe and they all responded heavily very strongly people who don't even like movies they Mm. they generally as a general rule uh they really respond strongly to it so yeah yeah, it's got mainstream appeal i think
0: yes All right, Gino, what are what are we on? Number 8, you're number 8. We're on
1: number 8, and number 8 is has been sweeping the critics awards and so forth. So, uh I will mention the uh, the movie from Mexico and Alfonso Cuarón, uh number 8 for me is Roma. The only thing that keeps it from going a little higher is the fact that it's its main character is quite passive and uh and sometimes passive characters don't exactly make for the best movies, but I think there should be more of them done because uh, not everybody has control of their situation, which is the the thing that's going on here. It follows two Mexican maids uh, for a well-off family in Mexico uh, as they try and navigate their difficult personal lives, and while still trying to take care of the kids and that they're hired to take care of and the houses that they're hired to take care of. And um, I, <clears throat> this movie is so well made. Uh, when I first saw it, I saw it in a theater. It's a Netflix movie, so um, uh, we didn't think it was going to be screened, but it was screened for us, and seeing it in a theater is the wise way to see it. Don't watch it on your phone or, you know, it's you know, It's okay. It's okay to watch it at home, but uh, you know, it's a movie. It's a beautiful widescreen black and white movie. Which, as if you've ever listened to the show before, widescreen black and white is a lot of the uh, is those kind of movies are uh, truly surreal to me because we actually see in widescreen, uh, but of course we don't see in black and white, and so it, it creates a dissonance there that, uh, you know, throws your brain into another world. And uh, so I love, uh, some people don't care for the pacing of it. It's quite slow, long shots, long, long shots. So <clears throat> that can uh, turn some people off because we, we live in a fast world. But I think that a movie that's set in 1969, like this one is, or 1970 maybe, <clears throat> uh should be slower. Uh, it should match a, a movie that's set in a past time and in a in a remote location. Yeah. Should should match the the pacing of that time and location. So uh, I think this movie does this. Of course, it's semi autobiographical. Um, I think it's the story of Alfonso Corone's own uh, house housema uh, housemaids as he was growing up but um uh it's just such a such a beautiful movie to look at it, from the very beginning it's just uh stunning just even over the credits and uh just everything everything about it from the picnic scene where they're shooting all the guns and and of course uh, the stunning ending and the hospital scene uh yeah I don't want to say what happens in it but uh it's it's all incredibly moving, and uh, the earthquake scene is is interesting, and uh, man, it's just uh, it's really 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 uh, an amazing movie, really great big screen experience. So uh, I can't say enough good things about it, but Roma would be my number eight choice for yeah. sure. You know,
2: it certainly makes my top forty. Uh, it's not gonna make it didn't make my top ten because i I just didn't connect with it emotionally in a way that I had hoped to uh but having said that, it is an incredibly sumptuous visual feast uh some of the like you said the the technical details the the some the sound work the, the sound yes yes, all that. And as the movie enters the final act, there are some, some emotional moments that, that do kind of compensate for other parts of the, the earlier section of the movie where there's not a lot of – for me, it wasn't a lot of emotional connection, but it kind of um, compensated for that during the last half. So uh, I admired what he was trying to accomplish. Um and I, I, I certainly, uh, you know, like I said, my hat's off to to what he has pulled off. But it just, for me, it just didn't quite emotionally uh, draw me in as a whole the way I'd hoped to. But uh, there's still a lot to embrace and a lot to appreciate. So, yeah.
1: When when I go to see a, for, a foreign language movie, I instantly check myself because mm. uh, they're not going to conform to Americans' disabilities. So yeah. I appreciate that they are uh, going to be slower and have a little bit more of a different uh, take on things mm-hmm. than we're used to seeing in our movies. So I really appreciate that part of it, and uh, just uh, just just looking and listening to it, it, it's just an artwork on the screen, and um, and I think it re- might require a couple more viewings to really mine everything that it has to uh, offer. Um but uh but I'll be glad to do that. So and it will stand up. So
2: Yeah. I, I will revisit it. I absolutely will. I, I plan on it. And um uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I admired it. I just wasn't over the moon about it like I uh like some people are and, and yourself and, and that's fine. Um Yeah, Yeah. because I could see why you would be. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, my number seven would be A Star is Born. Now, who would have thought that a fourth version of the well-worn tale of the struggles of a show business couple would still pack such a punch? Well, I was as surprised as anybody, and (laughs) what Bradley Cooper pulled off with this is pretty amazing that he was able to – to take this old chestnut of a tale and and breathe some new life into it, and the chemistry between Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga is, uh, is just amazing. Uh, the songs are excellent. There's great supporting work from Sam Elliott. Um, just you know, and and sure-handed direction, of course, by Bradley Cooper and mm-hmm. who also co-wrote, and uh, just incredibly well shot as well, and um. You know, I just uh I really admired A Star is Born and was quite surprised that it turned out to be as as well done as it was and um so that's my number 7.
1: Mhm. Okay, well that'll come up again later. So so I will just go on to my number 7. Say so, hey, we're moving quite a, we're moving along. Maybe we can <laughs> <laughs> have Jamie sing a song to fill up the rest of the show. So
0: you're going going at a good clip, guys. Keep,
1: keep Okay, it
0: going. Good. I'm, good. I'm sitting back and enjoy it.
1: Uh, okay, good. <laughs> well, my number seven was uh, one of the most moving movies of the year. It's the only movie of the year where five minutes in, everybody was crying in the theater that I was in. But I went to go see it at the Atlanta Film Festival, which was really terrific this year. Should be really terrific next year or coming up this spring uh, but uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, Morgan Neville's one of Morgan Neville's two interesting documentaries this year uh, uh, was uh, a remarkable work uh, the only thing that keeps me from putting it higher is the fact that he you know, really didn't shoot he, uh, a lot of stuff to make it, but uh, of course it's a archival movie that goes back into the history of uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and and arranges it in a way that uh makes us realize how valuable uh Fred Rogers was to a certain generation for uh for shaping our uh, our visions of ourselves and others and uh he had such a um, understanding way with communicating to children and uh, uh just a, a, an undying devotion to that and, uh, he really, uh, when I was watching it, um, I think one of the reasons that people got, uh, got moved by it was they realized how much of an effect of the, on their lives he had had. And, uh, you know, I think he taught me personally how to treat people and how to, how to try and be nice to people and friendly to people. And, um, uh, his relationship to the workers on the show, the, his fellow cast members, one of whom was, who was gay and he, he, which he didn't approve of, and uh, <clears throat> uh, some of the uh, some of the uh, people behind the camera. I think all of that stuff, and, and of course the children, which uh, any scene with kids in it is just uh, incredibly moving. And his explanation to, to Congress about how why he thinks it's important to fund uh the children's the television workshop and everything for PBS all that stuff was uh, just great and <clears throat> I'm, uh it's made me really interested in seeing the upcoming film version of his uh you know the narrative film version of his life in which uh Tom Hanks will be playing him uh i would prefer somebody like uh uh uh, David, uh, what's his name? David Strathairn, to play him, but uh, Tom Hanks is good. And uh, I, um, boy, that movie, that movie just devastated me emotionally. It still does.
0: So, um, me too. yeah. You know, and I did. I didn't grow up with Mister Rogers, and and I don't think I've sobbed uh, so much in a movie in a, in a while. Um,
2: yeah.
0: And then you, it, it takes on another resonance too. <coughs> based on mm-hmm. current events that took place after the movie came out, because mm-hmm. that, that mosque that, that had the mass shooting yes. um, a few months back, that, that was literally in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It was right near his house. Yeah. Uh, and so you, you couldn't get a more stark contrast between the, I- the ideal that Mr. Rogers epitomized – Mm -hmm. and how far astray from that we've gone.
3: We had a director that once said to me, you take all of the elements that make good television and do the exact opposite, you have Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Low production values, simple set, unlikely star. Yet, it worked because he was saying something really important.
1: And you know what's yeah. really interesting is to go back and and to watch the film and realize that it that that show came out during one of the most tumultuous times
0: yeah. that the yeah. the
1: uh that the country has ever uh, seen in the 1960s. Yeah. So
0: had to he had to, to to address those issues as well. It it, it did not live in a bu- bubble that show.
1: N- mm. No, it did not. It uh he you know he when Kennedy was assassinated or when there were assassinations around that time period, he actually went on and explained to kids what an assassination was because it was probably too horrifying for parents to think of doing it. So he did it for them, and uh, um, he went, went places that uh, no, other, uh, no other children's show host would go, and uh, pretty much no other, no other TV show would go, period. Because uh, no one was out there being quite as honest as he was at that time, so uh, I, you know, you just uh, you just walk away from the movie thinking uh, one thing, and you think, what a remarkable person uh, Fred Rogers was, and
0: uh, wow. and, then, and that and then the inspiration of lives like that as well. Yes, uh, to take to take that into you, and that's what the end of the movie is about. Mm-hmm. really uh that that whole sequence how how to take that example into yourself and mm-hmm. reflect it back into the world uh, oh god just a beautiful I, beautiful movie
1: i uh, i have to say that morgan neville's uh approach to doing the film and conducting the interviews and uh and then uh, organizing all of the information i think was amazing it was enough that i think i personally think that this should be the first documentary ever nominated for best picture uh and i wish that they would go there <laughs> i don't know if they will but they should cuz it really is that important
2: yeah this barely missed my top 10 it came in right in at number 11 so yeah it's it's fantastic i uh i totally agree echo all, all of your sentiments mm-hmm. can't can't add anything to it it's just um it's just terrific absolutely yeah.
0: Yeah. Great. Right so
2: uh my number six would be eighth grade, which we've already talked about pretty much. We've pretty much covered that. So I guess we can just you can move on to your number six, <laughs> Dean. <laughs> my number
1: six is easily the most obscure movie in the on the list because well, it's really a two thousand seventeen movie, but it didn't make it to American Shores until this year. Until the spring of this year. And it barely made a blip on anybody's uh in, on anybody's radar. It played here in Atlanta for maybe two weeks and then was gone. But it is now on Prime as well, on Amazon Prime. And so if you haven't seen this, this is a good opportunity for you to sit at home and watch it. It's a it's a movie by a new director, uh, Dominic Cook, and the movie is called On Chesil Beach. And uh it comes from a novel. Um and the novelist wrote the wrote the screenplay, which is really great. Um, on Chesil Beach is about a British couple, a young British couple, uh, Sersha Ronan and um and Billy Cook, I think is his name. he's a, a uh actor I'd never seen before. But um uh they have uh they've it's their marriage night and they've never had sex before as this movie is set in the sixties. So um so when when they do have when they do have sex, things don't go quite as planned, and uh, it creates a kind of a rift between them. Uh, beautiful photography and art direction, but it also feels also a little bit like a play on film in a way because it is it is caught in one wor- one room most of it, uh, but it it does uh it does expand out uh especially towards the end it goes goes to places that uh it it really talks about uh, uh you know towards the end of where where a intense heartbreak can take you and um uh i think it's very effective in that way and uh it was just uh it's <clears throat> just one of the most moving movies I've seen over the year. So uh, that's usually the benchmark that I have for my top ten. So um, so On Chesil Beach would be the first movie that I would recommend for anybody to watch. That If they wanted to see a movie, a great movie that they had never heard of and don't know anything about, this would be the one. And, you know, Saoirse Ronan. Uh, I know she's gotten a lot of praise for, I guess, uh, uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, but this is the movie she should be nominated for Best Actress for, if she is nominated. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, she's one of the mo- mo- best actresses out there, and uh, Billy Cook it was quite good in it. And, uh, boy, it's just a beautiful, beautiful movie. Really, really something else. It'll, it'll stun That's you. That's on
0: Amazon Prime now.
1: Yes.
2: Yeah, I still haven't had a chance to catch up to that, so I can't really say anything about it, uh, but I, I do want to, and it it is definitely on my to-do list, and mm-hmm. I will be doing that soon. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so my number five would be Black Klansman, which uh, Spike Lee came roaring back as a filmmaker with a film that may prove to be his first nomination as Best Director for an Academy Award if... Things are going the way I think they might. I'm not sure, but uh, I think he's got a good shot at it and Mm. for good reason because this is, of course, the the true tale of uh, an African-American police officer played by John David Washington, the son of Denzel, of course, who infiltrated the KKK in the early 1970s, Colorado, and This was a story, apparently, that Spike Lee didn't know anything about until he was asked by Jason Bloom uh, to come on board. And once he got involved, he saw the possibilities in the story, and uh, he attacked it with great vigor, as we can see. And this is uh, – it's a movie that – It's funny, it's angry, and it's sobering, all in equal turns. Mm -hmm. And one other thing about it is it contains, surprisingly, the best use of a pop song for me, and that would be Too Late to Turn Back Now by Cornelius Brothers and Sister Sister Rose, Rose.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: that I have seen in any movie this year or maybe in the last five years.
1: Was that used Uh, in the dance scene?
2: It was, and I was sitting there in a theater. He always says scenes.
1: great dance scenes.
2: Right, he does, but this, that sequence put a smile across my face. It I, was fun. I was just beaming like a Cheshire cat, as they say, and I, I just, that's the kind of stuff I love, 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 love when I see a great use of pop music and, uh, you know, and the choreography and all that, and it's like, this is just, this is terrific, this is phenomenal, And it has a lot of great moments uh, in there like that. And the final sequence where uh, they have footage from the Charlottesville tragedy from 2017 is just, uh, you know, you think you've seen that footage and you think you're, uh, well, you know, I've been, we've already experienced that. And, uh, well, uh, the way he puts that together at the end, I mean, I just, uh, tears just started readily flowing, and I didn't even realize that they were flowing until I got up out of the seat, and right. I was just gobsmacked. It, so, uh, It's a
1: stunning it, movie.
2: It was. It was. So, yes, and um, I just, uh, and I feel like it's, uh, he, he said there are no deleted scenes at all. They used every piece of footage that they shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very economically put together. I think even though it's at two hours and 12 minutes, you don't feel like there's any fat in the movie. and. No.
1: um
2: you know expertly edited by Barry Brown his longtime editor that we had on the show recently so you know it's um it's it's my number 5 and uh, I, I think it's a it's a terrific terrific return to form for Spike you, Lee you know and and this
0: movie uh you know with with the, with Jordan Peele behind it and uh, the big studio release i mean he knew that this was another a mainstream movie and yet, he didn't soften his his bold yeah. visual gift for mm-hmm. it. I mean, it still it still has ve- very operatic movements to it that mm-hmm. uh, I always appreciate in a Spike Lee movie. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot, <clears throat> and uh, I do think it's a special movie. And it's also interesting. When you look at the end of the movie with Charlottesville, and 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 it moved me in a surprising way too, because it was, uh, I think it was just context. I mean, when you when you see it on the news, and it's repeated ad nauseum,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah, you, it becomes you, it becomes numb yeah,
1: becoming nearer to it.
0: Yes, yeah, but when you see like a two-hour trip that you're fully invested in, and it, it crescendos in that footage. Mm-hmm. It places it in a heartbreaking context, and also, it there's another layer of poetry to it when you consider that it's a bookend to Malcolm X. Yes, if you yes. think of the the opening of Malcolm X being similar, amateur mm-hmm. footage, and the, the and the there. closing <laughs> in mm-hmm. a lot of ways.
1: So yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's Spike's best movie in a really long time. Oh yeah. uh, I loved it. Uh, um, it just didn't make my top 10 it's like at number 11 or 12 and um I, I do i do love it and uh that's how what a rich movie year is it, this year is because a movie like that just didn't make my top 10 because i just couldn't, couldn't find room for it but it is way, brilliant
0: it, it does show how uh how pro- promotion can help you with award season because mm-hmm. Spike Lee has been has been working the circuit uh as he, this he movie. should he should be. and I think it's I think it's helped I think it's helped mm-hmm. his chances big time
1: mhm yeah I think it should be I think people are always interested in what he has to say and he uh you know I've met Spike and he's uh he's he was extremely nice to me and respected the fact that I knew a lot about the making of his first movie so uh you know, he. Uh, I think. I think he just wants to get out there and people to hear what he has to say. And uh, when he does it like he does in in Black Klansman, uh, he, it's effective. You know, <laughs> maybe not in something like Girl Eight or whatever, but uh, in in this one, he's way, way in top form for his. Uh, it's one of his best movies ever. So, um, you know, right up there with. Do the right thing, I think, uh, and um, just uh, just kind of a masterpiece, really.
2: <coughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Well, for me, uh, number five is uh, a movie that came out of nowhere again, uh, but it is done by a, a person that I've met and and have admired for a little while. It's uh, Deborah Granick's Leave No Trace. That's which tells the story of a uh, a Vietnam or a Iraq war veteran uh who's living with his daughter in the middle of uh in the middle of a national park and uh li- living off the grid and uh the mother was long ago killed in a, a car accident and um uh it has uh, has been fostered as the uh as the father and a uh, really amazing performance, which is really a lead performance, but I have a feeling in the award season, this will be considered a supporting performance. But, uh, Thomason Harcourt McKenzie plays the daughter and she is so great in it. Uh, I had to say, I had to put her, uh, at the top of my list of breakthrough performances for the year, because I just think she was, she was just devastating in it. I mean, <clears throat> her uh, her character is almost unable to uh, reach out to people anymore because she's lived in such strange isolation, living with her father and taking care of her and taking care of him. And um, that uh, uh, when she gets a taste of normal living, living inside a house and uh, having contact with a variety of people, she decides that she's uh this kind of uh off the grid living is not for her and uh she has to sadly watch as uh her father uh decides he can't uh he can't make the change and um uh boy this movie <laughs> this movie is uh just so great uh another movie from this year that I've watched numerous times it too is on prime, so this, that is one of the reasons. and um, just incredible photography you you, uh, you know they're shooting out in in nature most of it and um, and when we go into houses and so forth, uh, it's uh, you can you can feel uh both of the main characters' uh kind of uh, feeling of uh, claustrophobia and so forth. Uh, whereas, you know, when they're outside, uh, there's lush greens and blues, and uh, the uh, life is a little bit more colorful out there. And uh, their connection to some of the p- other people who live that way uh, is also incredibly moving to me. This is really a movie about how the poor live and, um, and a lot of uh, uh, the poor and damaged live and uh that that's a good way of uh describing a lot of deborah granick's work you know she did winter's bone and uh and so forth and uh and a great movie called stray dog uh documentary um which is what i met her in connection with but she's uh she's got a real finger in the pulse of this this world and uh uh I think she's one of the best filmmakers out out there, and it's probably the movie uh next to chessel Beach is probably the movie that fewest people have seen you know in the, in my top ten but uh uh you know it's out there and go and check it out and prepare to prepare to be moved because it is really something else. It's a beautiful film visually it's got great nature photography by Michael McDonough. And uh, wow, it's just, it's really something else.
0: And it is showing up on quite a few top 10 lists that I've seen, uh, Mm -hmm. which is encouraging. Uh, I I think it's definitely getting a little more play than on Chisel Beach. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think think a, a lot of people that have seen it are mightily impressed by it. Adam, have you seen it yet?
2: No, that was the one blind spot of all the awards contenders. That's the one that I just never got to, and I was thinking I might actually get it knocked out this afternoon. it just didn't It just didn't happen uh but i, I it is I have a stack of things that I never got to, and that is absolutely at the top so uh by the way yeah.
0: just just as an aside, uh have either one of you guys seen that escape at danamora show?
1: not yet no, I, I I'm not watching any television
0: heard about you if you're if you're talking about breakthrough performances there is an actor in that he plays patricia arquette's husband
1: mm-hmm. and
0: i was watching him and i was thinking that cannot be an actor that cannot be a professional actor <laughs> mm-hmm. and i looked him up and sure as uh, sure enough he is mm-hmm. but uh that is an amazing performance <laughs> it is in a miniseries that has a collection of amazing performances But it is so authentic and lived in. Uh, Mm -hmm. You have to see that performance, if nothing Mm -hmm. else. But you'll love the miniseries. But that would would be my recommendation for a breakthrough performance, right there. Mm -hmm. Okay, Adam. Yeah. Number Number
2: four for me would be man. Look at this.
1: (laughs) This is the fastest, fastest we've ever gone through a top (laughs) ten.
2: We'll have to.
1: We'll have time to talk about some of the other movies that we love this year. So that'll uh, be fun.
2: Yeah. Or maybe uh, I would like for us to name one of our worst films, the ones we hated the most. Uh,
1: okay, <laughs> so I can do that too. Good.
2: That's always good. So anyway, uh, so number four for me is the death of Stalin. It mm. was. Uh, filmmaker Armando Iannucci, of course, and I think he accomplished something very unique. He took a reality-based story of the film's title, The Death of Stalin, of course, and he turned it into an uproarious black comedy. And... uh you know, it proves, yet again, the old adage, truth is stranger than fiction. I, I mean, this is just a, a, such a darkly funny movie, and, of course, uh, Gallows' Humor is my middle name, so this I really responded strongly <laughs> to to that. And uh, great performances, Steve Buscemi. Uh, Incredible cast. Yes, and uh, Khrushchev, and just... um. You know, just uh, all uh, I can't even remember who uh, all the people in the case. Andrea uh,
1: Andrea Wy- Risborough yes.
2: Stalin's
1: uh, Stalin's daughter. And uh and of course uh of course uh, Jeffrey Tambor. Jeffrey
2: Tambor,
1: <laughs> yes, that's what I was gonna
2: say. <laughs> and Michael yeah. Palin. Yeah, pa- I forgot about Palin, yeah. He's but yeah. Oh just yeah. Terrific, terrific. I, I loved it and uh laughed very hard and um you know, and learn some things, too.
3: I really need your help. To do what? The body's fucking piling up in the streets. It's a bit late, isn't it? But what if we blame this on someone Wait. who's out of control? Nicky, be very careful what you say next. Who? Barrier. I'm going to have to report this conversation, threatening to do harm or obstruct any member of the Presidium in the process of looking at your fucking face. <laughs> incredible
1: uh incredible uh period detail, which we don't yes. get in comedies, you know what this is this is a like a movie that, if it was done seriously, would probably bore people a lot but yes this is uh, uh, this is I think i've said this before on the show quite a long time ago i wish that I wish that historical movies could have something else to them that could make the uh the story pop a little bit more than just uh sticking stri- strictly to the facts and i
3: mm-hmm. think that's
1: one of the things that Iannucci uh achieves uh through through his comedy and uh, uh I, I love Steve Buscemi in the lead i really love Steve Buscemi as an actor generally and i feel like uh <clears throat> like in movies we don't get to see enough of him really and uh, yeah. so the fact that he was the, basically nominally the lead in this uh was a very smart uh decision by Ainucci and uh who d- uh, who does an incredible script writing job uh and uh also as much as i love this movie it didn't make my top 10 but uh i i really dig it and it's one of those movies that uh you know, it's essential to watch if you want to understand movies from this year. So,
0: yeah. yeah. So, okay, here's a question. Buscemi is notorious for his characters die <laughs> in every single movie he makes. Mm. It's like an ongoing, ongoing joke. Like people say, man, if if you're signed up for a movie, you know automatically that your character is going to die. He's the uh, Alicia Cook
1: Jr. of the, of the present age. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah. yeah, I don't know what it is about directors casting Steve Buscemi, but, uh, but I, I, lo- I love him, too. And he just uh, – yeah. he was in the news today, actually. His his wife of 30 years
2: his just wife passed, passed away. So, yeah, so, so
0: blessings and blessings to him, and we wish yeah. him well. But, yeah, he's a great presence. He, well, he was think- in everything in the 90s, wasn't he?
1: He, he oh, was yeah. all over the place, and uh, and uh, you know after after Boardwalk Empire, uh, which I guess he took took some time off, which he deserved, and um, and now uh, should be coming back. Uh, he yeah. was also in he was also in a couple of other movies this year. This is the movie yeah. uh, by him that uh, that uh, with him in, that I have loved most since uh, his uh, directorial debut with Trees Lounge. Mm-hmm. uh which is, which is also uh, another movie I would recommend everybody watch but yeah. uh he is he's he's superb
2: I was going to say he there's a great episode of the Gilbert uh, Godfrey podcast that he was a guest on there and uh Gilbert you know of course doesn't watch a lot of modern films
1: <laughs> so mm-hmm.
2: he doesn't know anything about Steve Buscemi mm-hmm. and can barely pronounce his name and mm-hmm. so there's a running gag where Steve Buscemi keeps uh he he keeps ragging on Gilbert. He's like you you can't even pronounce my name. You, you, name name five movies that I made or
1: <laughs>
2: it's, it's like a running gag throughout the podcast. Uh-huh. So it's, it's
1: uh-huh.
2: great. He's got a good sense of humor about it, but uh yeah. Uh, anyway.
1: Well, I I was so glad to see him in this, and the entire yeah. cast, really. And uh yeah. it's great. a really really fresh movie. So yeah. Okay. I
2: mean.
0: Number You're 4. Up.
1: Okay, number four for me is definitely Adam McKay's Vice, which came as a huge surprise to me because as much as everybody loved the big short, it was a movie that left me a little cold because I didn't feel that it was clear enough on the facts. uh, And uh, uh, I mean, not that it's factually uh, untrue, just uh, I didn't feel like it communicated the facts well enough. And uh so I went into Vice thinking this is gonna be another sort of like jumbled up clusterfuck. And um uh for me Vice uh worked perfectly. Um uh it's it's uh you know, even beyond its editing, um it's uh very much like a lower key Oliver Stone film and it brings in the humor and surprisingly uh surprisingly dire ways and um, the performances by everybody in it are, and it has a, an amazing cast which includes Steve Carell and uh, Tyler Perry and and so many people and Amy Adams of course oh man this movie is so funny and so but you feel bad for laughing so it's absolutely a black comedy yeah. uh, but uh is so visually interesting when it could have been stodgy, and um, uh, and you never know where it's going to be. It's, it's the only movie movie of the year in which there's closing credits that pop up in the middle of the movie. I was like, what? What's happening mm-hmm. here? This is nuts. Okay, and uh, you just never know what it's going to do next. And uh, of course, it it dramatizes. One of the, I think, one of the worst things that's ever happened to this country, uh, and um, it does so without being too uh, downbeat about it. it. Says we'll get through this, but it's fine. But um, wow, it's just—I uh, feel like it's a movie that I could watch again and again because it's got so much detail to it, and uh, boy, it's a—it's a—it's
3: a really terrific movie. I want you to be my VP. You the solution to my problem. Mm-hmm i CEO of a large company. I have been uh, Secretary of Defense. I have been in Chief of Staff. Uh, the Vice Presidency is mostly a uh, symbolic job. Right, right. I can see how that wouldn't be uh, enticing to you. However, the Vice Presidency is also defined by the present, and if we were to come to a, uh, different understanding. Uh-huh. Go on. I'm listening. I sense that, uh, you're a kinetic leader. You make decisions based on instinct. I am. Hmm. People I said that. Yeah, yeah. Very different. Very different from, uh, from your father. In that regard, now, maybe I can uh, handle some of the more mundane jobs, overseeing uh, bureaucracy, managing military, uh, energy, uh, foreign policy. That sounds good. I'm not sure that
1: critics have really responded to it. Although, you know, of course, I know it was nominated for a few Golden Globes, but I'm not quite sure that critics have responded to it, maybe because uh, they don't like me take, to be taken to that place again. And um, uh, But I think it's a place that deserves revisitation, and, uh, and now Adam McKay has given us the perfect vehicle to do so. So uh, Vice is my number uh, five, four movie of the year, and... Uh, I really thought it was going to be the best one of the year but i went and rewatched a lot of movies and
2: mm-hmm.
1: put it in its proper place for me at least
2: yeah it's definitely good yeah I obviously made my top 10 too so yeah well uh number three for me is barry jenkins follow-up to moonlight If <coughs> could talk uh of course i've as i've said a moonlight kind of left me cold i, I didn't hate it, but I just didn't think it was as good as everybody else seemed to. So, I wasn't really expecting a lot from his follow-up film, and boy, was I surprised. I couldn't have been more surprised at how deeply I responded emotionally to this movie, and of course, it's about a couple that's in early 1970s, who were ripped apart at the seams, African-American couple ripped apart at the seams when the male counterpart is falsely accused of a rape he didn't commit. And it's based on a James Baldwin novel, and it's beautifully scored, photographed, and just resonates emotionally. Uh, I just um, was really, really, really surprised and in a very positive way, and, and I just really liked this movie a lot and uh just great performances as well regina king of course uh is already getting some uh, awards um you know the golden globe of course and i think she's going to get an oscar nomination and so uh, you know and and, and she should cuz she's she's really and they're all good but uh, you know she's she, but um, anyway very well directed and and just uh if if this is uh, a good example of his growth as a filmmaker i can't wait to see what he does next Mm-hmm. So uh this, mm-hmm. is, this is good stuff. So if Bill Street can talk, number three for me.
0: Well
1: we'll get back to it, but uh number three for me is uh Paul Schrader's Return to Form, First Reform. Oh, first Reformed, right? Uh I keep t- calling it first resurrected, which you actually <laughs> has to do with has to do with its ending, but first reformed. Of course it's uh, uh with Ethan Hawke, uh playing a priest uh who's escaped his uh his his uh dead marriage and be- entered the priesthood and in uh he's at a church uh one of the stops on the um on the old uh uh you know slave escape route uh it was used during that period and um first reformed is the name of the church, uh and um <clears throat> he gets uh he gets a parishioner who comes in and wants advice on uh her uh husband's uh you know mental illness and uh that takes uh Ethan Hawke's character into uh, a strange and very unusual place. The first time that I watched this movie there was a uh, which is a very unusual film I think uh, Paul Schrader's best work since maybe affliction in the um, nineties, there was a group of people outside the, the uh, theater and they were uh, absolutely stunned by it because, and they were angered by it (laughs) because uh, it didn't go where they wanted it to go. And, uh, and I said, well, I love that. And, uh, and I, I love that it. it took me a new place and uh, to a new place. And uh, geez, I just, uh, I'm just so happy for Paul Schrader who I think deserves, you know, talking about the Oscars again, I think, you know, he, he deserves his first Oscar nomination ever for this movie. And I think he deserves his first Oscar for his script. Uh, he he just absolutely has to, has to get it. I mean, uh, and uh, it's, it's, I watched it again because uh, it too is on Prime, and um, uh, I have to say, oh, man, you know I had it lower on the list, and I said I got to put this higher. This is crazy. So uh, you know, the, uh, Ethan Hawke's performance is just insanely uh, intimate, and uh, I love Amanda Seyfried in it too as the parishioner who comes for help, and and of course. Um uh, uh of course uh, Cedric Antonio Kyles or Cedric the Entertainer as we know him as the uh as the head of the church um is uh is also fantastic and it's really one of the great casts of the year and uh really unusual uh photography cuz it's shot in that boxy sort of uh, film ratio i guess it's 16:6 or something it's one
2: thirty-three, I believe. Yeah.
1: It's one thirty-three. Three. I can't ever tell yeah, the difference between the things, but um, uh, that also puts you in a puts you in an interesting place, and uh, the uh, narration, which Schrader is one of the best writers of narration. If nothing has proved that, then Taxi Driver should, which. Um, this is, this movie reminded me quite a bit of Taxi Driver. In fact, mm-hmm. even more so than any of his other movies have, uh, including any of the ones that he's just written. Uh, I just felt, felt like this and Taxi Driver would be great as on a
3: double bill. I have decided to keep a journal to set down all my thoughts and the simple events of my day. I will keep this diary for one year, and at the end of that time, it will be destroyed. my son to enlist it was a family tradition six months later he was dead in iraq i was lost My sense the reading of the lord praise be god so how are you oh i'm fine no really it's been a while since we've talked even a pastor needs a pastor
2: did you see the doctor
3: you need someone to take care of you i want you to be happy i know that nothing can change and i know there is no hope
0: Reverend Toller. Yes, Mary.
3: You must come over. You must come
0: over now. This movie is probably, throughout his career, is the best crystallization of who Paul Schrader is and what formed him. Um, I agree. It, it, because you watch, uh, you know, it uh, Diary of a Country Pre like all all of the all of the foreign films that bo- most informed him yes. are in here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and and Taxi Driver, his his opus in, in mm-hmm. his career, the thing that will be the first title listed on his obituary will be Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. Um, so and and it's a, for those that haven't seen it, fast forward this podcast another thirty seconds because I don't want to ruin it for you. But <clears throat> the conclusion of the film, I just read an interview with Paul Schrader, and they were talking about the, the ending of the film, mm-hmm. and he shot it in a way to be open ended. Mm-hmm. And he feels that the movie is pessimistic. And most people who see the movie, audience-wise, think it's optimistic. Mm-hmm. But he says, he says no, uh, in his mind, Ethan Hawke's character is dead. Dead, yeah. And he purposely cut out shots of Amanda Seyfried entering the room. So mm-hmm. she just appears in the room. Like he wanted to, he wanted to give it a little bit of ambiguity. Mm-hmm. So you could read it one way or another. Uh, and I thought, well, good for him. And he, I think he does feel that this is his best film. Oh, he does? Yeah, I think he I, I, he did say that. He said, First Reformed is the best I've done, I think. He said, look, I love some of my other movies. Uh, Affliction is, I think it's the very best adaptation you could give a book like that. You know, I'm not downplaying any of my other stuff. But I think, First Re- I think he recognizes First Reformed as... The, the final, kind of, like I said, the final crystallization of who he is. Of course, the he would... It's a movie he's always wanted to make. He said, this is the movie I've always wanted to make. And the tone of the, the pace of the movie, is mm-hmm. so you were talking about foreign films being slower, but look at First Reformed. The, mm-hmm. the, the pace of the movie is so deliberate, and then it gradually kind of shifts. Mm-hmm. It, it shifts mm-hmm. tonally, and, and the rhythms of the piece shift, I yeah, think it's a ballsy. It's a ballsy movie. I think
1: it's it's very dreamy and uh, weird, uh, but uh, uh, yes, it is. It is that, and uh, and uh, it also, to me, has a little bit of a connection to hardcore, a little bit in the sense that uh, in the sense that you know, hardcore f- at first uh, begins in a very very faith based kind of uh, community and then has to, uh, uh, reach out into a, into a less, uh, uh, a kind of a hell on earth. And, uh, and I think, I think it, this has a very strong mm-hmm. connection to that movie as well. But, uh, what can we say? I mean, uh, at least, at least for now, Paul Schrader is, is back and, uh, he's better than ever. So I'm really, uh, yeah. happy for him and, uh, he's He's one of my heroes, and and uh, I'm really thrilled with this movie. So, uh, first reformed is number three on my list.
2: I like how the end of the movie too calls back a little bit from a technical perspective uh, to Obsession, Brian De Palma's Obsession, which he wrote that of course. And there's mm-hmm. the swirling camera where the the two characters are, you know, kind of the Cliff Robertson and Jean-Béa Boujol. And it kind of it made me think of that. I I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, the way the camera's swirling around at the very end with the Mandor and Ethan Hawke just yes. to, just a call back to something he did not direct, of course, but something he wrote.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh it just made me think of that. So Okay, anyway, yeah, I agree. But uh yeah, that will uh that will pop up on my list uh again. Okay. Uh, in before we're over, before we're done. So number two for me would be The Hate You Give, and for me, if any movie in 2018 deserved accolades that it never received, well, this is the one, because it's just not in the conversation, nobody's talking about it, I think it's going to be ignored, and it's an emotionally jarring portrait of a teen, an African-American teen, who's torn between two different compartments in her life, and she must make a choice when she becomes the only witness to her childhood friend's murder at the hands of the police. And the fact that the film's screenwriter, Audrey Wells, died the day before the film made its debut after she spent years trying to get it made makes it a little bit more uh, heartbreaking to me that it's not getting the attention it deserves. So, uh, just in, in great performances here. Um, I'm drawing a blank. A man world. with Steinberg. That's it, Amanda Steinberg, Yeah, that's it. Uh, incredible. Uh, yeah. I think maybe a debut performance, I believe.
1: I'm not sure.
2: But, but anyway, uh, re- regardless, uh, it, it's just extremely well made, uh, well directed by George Tillman Jr. And um, so, the Hate You Give is my number two for but, the year.
1: Uh, I watched it uh, on your recommendation personally, and I, I was I was suspicious of it but I watched it and it immediately hooked me in and I it's it's definitely in my top 20 uh, in the high end of that but uh, uh I do love it I love the uh love the ensemble cast I love all of the uh people playing uh, her parents and her brothers and sisters and uh her classmates and everything it's really really great movie it's sobering shot in right. Atlanta and um I'm not set in Atlanta but shot here. And um I just I just really dug it. I was really moved by it. And mm-hmm. uh yeah, Me too. It's, it's a really, really great movie, no question about it. Yeah. Okay. So we're moving on, we're at number two right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I avoided talking about this movie when you brought it up but uh for me number two is if beale street could talk which uh my number one movie which i saw earlier in the year is uh is uh you know i was like boy it's really going to be a horse race but uh between these two but i had to rewatch them just to make sure that I felt the way i did and uh beale street could talk was uh definitely deserves the number two spot um uh, I feel similarly to you, uh, Adam, in terms of uh, uh Moonlight, which uh did not hit me correctly first time I watched it in the theater, but watching it by myself uh in a quiet atmosphere made me love it a little bit more. And um it too is on Prime. Uh, uh Moonlight is. So you can watch as much as you can as you want but uh he uh has returned to uh filmmaking with James Laxton his photographer on moonlight and i think James Laxton deserves as much credit uh to Beale streets power as uh as jenkins does and uh just an incredible cast i mean kiki lane and uh Stephen james as the uh as the the Couple in it, and the people playing their uh her family are really really amazing has some uh stunning scenes in it um scenes of uh family clashes and so forth and uh uh but this is also a movie that <clears throat> you look at it and you wouldn't think that it would be as uh as visually interesting as it is but it is so faithful to period detail in its costuming and its art direction and its music choices and so forth that uh, it really puts you back in that time period. And what I loved most about it was that it was so romantic. I just I just really respond to uh, romance in movies, especially if it's authentic. And I really feel like I really felt like those people were meant to be together, those two people, and uh, I, you know, when the prison part comes in, it's just heartbreaking, and what a movie, I mean, I was just, you know, it's, oh my God, the Nicholas Bertel score, was, that's got to be mentioned. Nicholas Bertel's score is uh, my second favorite score of the year, but it, I, it's the one that I'm definitely going to go out and get and listen to more and more as the years go on. But it is it is just transportative, uh, and uh, God, there's so many great things to say about it. It's just uh, I'm not sure if people are going to see it. I hope they are. And uh, there's better, you know there there needs to be more talk about it. I think um, I think it I think it deserves a uh, Deserves many accolades at the end of the year, and I'm not sure it's going to get it. But um, but I hope it does. You know. So uh, man, if Bill Street could talk, just I was just God. It is so great, so great. What a movie. Well,
0: if history has told us anything, taught us anything, it's that come Oscar time next month, if A Star Is Born wins Best Picture. There's still a few minutes left to give it to if Bill Street could talk and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: true. It'd be funny if it happens again. Uh, that would be that would be weird. But um, yes, I agree. I agree completely. Uh, okay. I guess we're on to wow, wow. This is the fastest top ten show ever. Okay, number Adam, one.
0: Adam, you, you gave you gave it away.
1: You <laughs> said, "Oh."
0: I'll, I'll be talking about that movie later. Anyway, here's Uh, my number two. So I
2: love the process (laughs) of elimination. Right. It's true. Yeah, well, I I shouldn't have said anything, but yeah. So uh, First Reformed, my favorite film of the year. And uh, yeah, no no movie struck me emotionally strongly and made me think and uh, contemplate where we're at in this place and time. And just uh, brought up... You know, a lot of food for thought for me, and uh, I just you know, the performances are great. Like we just talked about, it's technically superb, and just uh, a, a lot on its mind, so to speak. And uh, I just, you know, I, I don't know what else to add to it that hasn't been said already. But uh, I just really, really, really responded strongly to First Reformed, and and more strongly to it than anything else I saw. So. That's my number one. its you know, it is.
0: It it, it is so. Cl- it does so closely resemble to those character study movies that we all love so much from the seventies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which uh, which uh, was so refreshing <laughs> to me when I see a movie that reminds me of the seventies. That's such nostalgia. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, this is my kind of flick. Well oh.
1: placed nostalgia, though. <laughs> and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I you know I mean what it's just an amazing film. What are you gonna say? It just is. I think I've said everything I can say about it. But uh,
0: maybe yeah. maybe Ethan not. Hawk, but... Ethan Hawke continues to amaze. I mean, he, and mm-hmm. I, I think with every subsequent subsequent movie he does, we're all like, man, when did Ethan Hawke become like
1: <clears throat> the best like, actor?
0: <laughs> one of our top <laughs> actors that we have. Yes. <clears throat> you know, after a while, we're gonna have to just admit. Oh yeah, I mean he has been our one of our great actors for a while because he just keeps on up in his game, man.
1: He has been, and and just think he's doing it while he's directing because he had he had a movie this year that he directed, Blaze, which was the story of uh, of uh, an Woody obscure Foley. Blaze <laughs> of yes, Blaze Foley, an obscure music figure who died early, and uh, really great performance by uh, is it Ben Dickey? Uh Yes. Yeah. Fantastic in it, and uh, and uh, just just think he he was able to do those two movies in in a year. (laughs) Wow, that's that's insane. And he
2: did uh, Juliet Naked too. That was the
1: other one, which
2: I didn't get around to seeing.
1: Right. He directed that. I didn't direct it. Okay, he's co-starring in it. Yeah. Okay, that's
0: a fine movie. He's he's good in it. I I have seen Juliet Naked. Uh-huh. <laughs> the movie.
1: I wish I could say I've seen Juliet naked. Well, uh, yes, uh, um, uh, he's he's uh, one of the best people out there, and he's he's just great. And I really admire him for uh, showing so so much growth uh, since he's been in Explorers back in 1983 or whatever that was. what Was that 85?
2: Um,
1: 85, yeah. 85 was his uh, film debut, and man, he is. He's just incredible, I think. Uh, he's, he's really something else. You know,
0: and he... F- for the longest time, he's, he annoyed me.
1: Because he... Rem- <laughs> I understand he that. Re- re- mi-
0: he reminded me of, like, the intentional, scruffy, Gen Xer kind of
1: mm.
0: actor. And, uh, Which, of course, he, I,
1: he embodied in, in Reality Bites.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I think you you put some age on that. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it you know, maturity on that and uh you have a hell of an interesting presence on screen. Yes. Yeah, absolutely.
1: He is he is one of our great actors, that's let's face it. I mean, uh he's just and and I really like him personally too. Uh, when he's talking about oh, yeah. movies or whatever, I think he strikes me as somebody who's really makes well considered uh, observations and everything. So I really, I really dig him uh, mm-hmm. these days. Well, my number one movie hasn't changed all year. I, I was fearing that it, it might because it was came out earlier in October. But um, seeing this movie, which is "The Star Is Born" by Bradley Cooper, uh, seeing this movie for the first time uh, at a preview screening, which was very much like a rock event because uh, Cooper was there, and it was only his si- the sixth time he had ever seen it, uh, played in front of an audience, and so I'm sure he was interested in that. But um, for as long as he's worked on it, well, he's worked on it for five years or something, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, Star is Born, to me, does the impossible. Is it possible to make remake a movie that's been remade Two other times, They're made three times totally, and it's also inspired countless other movies that don't have the title as Stars Born. uh but uh, things like Mahogany and so forth, but um, uh, this movie just, <clears throat> wow. What, when I was sitting in there with that audience, uh, who were told not to use their cell phones thankfully... Um, that audience was just wrapped with attention every second of it, and by the end of it, everybody was in tears, and uh, including me. And uh, wow, uh, it's just uh, a, an incredible love story, and I was not expecting it because uh, the '37 version is is very good. I know people, uh, I know it's classic, uh, but uh, I I like the fifty the '50s version with Judy Garland in it a, a lot more and uh, I don't care I finally got around to seeing the 76 version and uh, it's 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 horrible uh, the music is terrible in it uh, for the most part even though some of the music won an Oscar but um, the music in this I think is one of the key reasons why it works uh, every single song in it is great Even songs that are in the background of scenes is great. Uh, I mean, just, they didn't, you know, he surely must have been faced with using some other songs that weren't as great, but I think he had enough taste to uh, pick the right things. And, um, you know, of course, Shallow is probably on on uh, the track to winning Best Song at the Oscars, which will mean Lady Gaga will at least get one Oscar this year, and uh, I'm hoping that Bradley Cooper does well. As I mean, I was I was predicting him to be nominated for four or five of them, but um, I'm not quite sure now. But uh, uh, God, I, when I was rewatching it again, uh, I was really keyed into how great his performance is because you know he's not a musician so uh that uh you know the guitar playing i'm not quite sure if he's doing it uh, but he definitely makes you believe he is and um i love too how the movie incorporates tips of the hat to the other two uh the other versions so uh you know i really think it's a it could be seen as a movie that's kind of about film history in a way. Uh, I love that level of it. It's a, it's a film about music history, too, because it, it also shows you know, his uh, musical influences and, and then how he sees the world of music changing in front of his eyes through, through uh, Lady Gaga's character and, uh, and how there's no place for him in this new world. And in fact, that's reflected in one of the songs. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. Um, it's just a. It's just an incredibly rich movie, uh, and of course, Sam Elliott's performance in it. It's, it's a movie with a lot of people in it, but Sam Elliott and uh, and Lady Gaga and uh, Bradley Cooper really control the entire film, and uh, so you really can't mention one name without mentioning the other two. But. Uh, you know, I was I really I mean, of course, I'm familiar with Lady Gaga and some of her music, but I wasn't really um Lady Gaga fan. And I think that this movie has made me into a fan of her, but I'm a fan of her personally. I like her personally, not just her work, but I like her. I like uh, I like how she's attacked her career. I like her uh, confidence. I like her musical ability. And I like her ability to change uh, over over years and attack new things uh, with such with the same vigor that she's attacked, you know, getting you know conquering the music world. And it's I think it's a really brave thing for her to do. And uh, the fact that Cooper was a producer, a writer, a director, the star, and wrote wrote some of the songs just blows me away i mean how how is he able to do all that stuff keep all those hats on uh for five years he must be exhausted but um wow i just i'm so glad that it's a hit at least you know and we will see another bradley cooper movie even if he doesn't win an oscar this year or whatever uh but i think it's going to win best picture right when I saw that movie, I just said, "Wow, that's the Best Picture right there." I told told the studio reps, "I said that's the Best Picture. I can tell you that right now." So I'm not quite sure, but it I th- I still think it's on track to happen. Um, picture, uh, supporting actor, maybe Best Actress, maybe Best Director, uh, sound. Maybe cinematography and a uh, song, of course. Oh, man, seeing it in the theater, like just with that sound. Oh, God, you, you felt like you were there at, at a concert. It was a true event. It is a true event. It lives forever. Stars Born is absolutely my favorite movie of the, of the year. There's no way anything could come close. So, yeah, that's it.
0: Okay. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Okay. So let's um, let's talk about what we were least impressed with, real quick, <laughs> and then we'll then we'll talk about some other great movies of the year in the remaining minutes that we have. What okay. You, what 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 what's the bomb of the year for you guys? Oh, the bomb, <laughs> the bomb of the year. I'll
1: let Adam go first. What was the...
2: Well, the only movie that I walked out on uh, probably gets that award, and that would be uh, Blockers, the alleged comedy <laughs> that starred, um, um, oh my goodness, I can't even uh, Leslie Mann and the Big Baron Holtz, John Cena. Uh, yeah, John, yeah, John Cena, the the wrestler. Yeah, th- it was just abominable. It was abominable, and I. It's still a mystery to me. This movie was trending on Rotten Tomatoes around 75-80%, something like that. Critics were generally favorable. I mean, it was atrocious. And, you know, it's it's just... I I left at the point where there was a a beer bong being inserted anally into a character in the movie. That (laughs) That that would make me leave. And I said, okay, it's time to go. And it's not that I'm Averse to that sort of humor, it's fine. I mean, I I, I like uh, there are many movies that have that sort of humor that I find funny. Uh, this was just vulgar without being funny. It was just strict vulgarity, and they forgot the laughs. Mm. And I just I love Leslie Mann. I think she's great. Uh, but and and the movie had the thinnest premise possible. It's the, these parents who are trying to keep their kids from losing their virginity on prom night, and you're supposed to believe that Leslie Mann has been single for 17, 18 years or whatever because she refused to date once her uh, husband left when her child was small or whatever I find that hard to swallow and uh, you know it's, I don't know it, it was just awful and, and I, I it was a mystery to me as to how and why people responded to it as positively as they did it was just yeah. it was just. Well, you the had bottom me, of the you
0: barrel had me at, uh, you had me at bung in the ass like as soon yeah, as you bong- said that right, man, yeah, Adam, yes absolutely I put it on my watch list uh, <laughs> yeah. can't, uh, yeah. can't
2: wait well, enter yeah. at your own risk so anyway
1: I had a lot of movies that I despised this year, and I'll just uh, mention some of them now. Uh, uh, These are the movies that I thought had something to them, but I I just hated them. Hated every single one of these titles, including uh, Steven Soderbergh's Unsane, which is one of the most uncomfortable uh, movie experiences of the year for me. And First Man, uh, Damien Chazelle, who's a filmmaker I like, I just found that that movie was uh dull beyond belief, even though it was about the going to the moon. And I hated the wife, uh, Glenn Close, which that's probably she's gonna win her Oscar for that, but that's just a crime because I just think she's she's just blah in it. And uh I hated hated, hated uh Can You Ever Forgive Me uh I just I could not stand either one of those characters. Uh, and, uh, really don't understand why Richard E. Grant is getting so much love for it. And I think that everybody loves Melissa McCarthy, but I think this movie used her in the very wrongest way possible. And, uh, Isle of Dogs was also something that I found visually beautiful, but also a little too wordy and a little too, uh, a little too Wes Anderson for me. Uh, uh, it just wasn't, wasn't nearly as fun as Fantastic Mr. Fox, but, uh, uh and, uh, And another movie that I absolutely despise, that I know you like, Adam, uh, The Battle of the Buster Buster Scruggs, which would be my worst, I think the worst movie ever made by Ethan and Joel Cohen. It's just insufferable. It's a movie for people who hate Westerns and revel in that hate. And I think think that movie movie reflects a hatred of Westerns (laughs) and of country people, uh, which I think the the Cohens hate uh country people anyway but uh crazy rich asians which i thought was visually beautiful but i thought was a stupid movie like a stupid 90s movie uh and uh so so many things but for for me the worst movie experience that i had all of year all the year might be um lean on pete which i i, I and also i would mention destroyer too the uh, nicole kidman thing both movies I thought were trials to get through, and Lean on Pete especially angered me beyond belief because if uh, I was th- I went in thinking, oh, it's a movie about horses. I, oh man, I love that, and uh, I, I like horses. We used to own a horse, and um, and so it would obviously appeal to people who like horses. But uh, you know, I thought, oh, maybe it'll be like Black Stallion or something. This is not Black Stallion. This is a movie that I'm just going to go ahead and tell you the ending of it right now, <laughs> because in the movie, you know, the kid uh, picks up with a horse and, uh, and, and trains it and so forth. And then in the last 30 minutes of it, the horse dies horribly in front of our eyes. And uh, it's not a crying kind of die kind of thing. It's it's a it's a why are you doing this to us kind of kind of thing. It's just like we don't want to see this. We we're animal lovers. We do not want to see the animal in the lead dying in a horrible way. It's just it's just so wrong. It's so wrong to do that to us. So that that guy to me who who did forty five years, which was my favorite, one of my favorite movies of of past years. I just now. I'm just like, oh, uh, now I'm. I'm not sure if I'm gonna go see the next one. You know, what are you gonna kill everything at the end of it? Oh, uh, stupid! Fucking hate that movie. Like to give him a punch in the face. Okay.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, I thought you were going to tell us that uh, he he tried to elicit laughs from the death of the horse, and then I was I was really going to start to worry.
1: Well, you can you can see it, but uh, uh, it is it is horrible, and it, and also it's a really slow paced movie. You're just like, can we get on with it? You know, and you're just like, oh, come on, please. You know, so really,
0: you're going to stay at the end of it. You see somebody huffing glue or something. Uh. I
1: I would have rather that happened. I would have rather uh <laughs> I would have rather uh, uh uh what's her name from uh <laughs> God. What's the what's the movie about the the girl who huffs things and uh, oh oh uh, uh Laura Dern comes out. Citizen
2: Ruth. Oh, yeah,
1: I would I would like to I would I would like to see Citizen Ruth come out and yeah. huffing huffing the glue. Or,
2: or if they I only think about
0: you know what I always think about with Sister Ruth, and then Sister Ruth's the movie I love.
2: I'm but confused. I
0: think about like the most the most vulgar thing that she says in that movie. Oh yes, it's so. That's one of the it.
1: funniest moments. That's <laughs> the funniest moment in the movie.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't know if we're I don't know if we're thinking about the same thing, but uh, it's just when just she addresses
1: kind of the crowd.
0: <laughs> oh okay.
1: When well, she addresses yeah. the crowd, yeah,
0: that that too, but mm-hmm. it's like. For some reason, it's funny when she's walking and she's hurting, or no, oh, it's right before she goes to the bathroom. I think to the abort, or she has the not the abortion, to the miscarriage, mm-hmm. uh, and she just says, "I gotta take a shit." <laughs> 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 that's right.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like a pretty inopportune, inopportune moment to say that, but that's her way of getting out of a situation. But the funniest thing in, in uh, wow. that movie to me is when she comes out and and, uh, and her mother is asking her to come out and, and give herself uh return back to her old life. And she says something like, y- you weren't this nice when <laughs> you caught me sucking your boyfriend's
0: cock in front of the, <laughs> the whole audience. <laughs> the entire audience goes,
1: you know, it's it's so hilarious. that That movie is so great. Wow. Sure
0: is. For reynolds yeah. man. For reynolds is yeah. a good one.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm. Maybe one okay. of his last So give
0: give me, uh, I don't know how, how far your list goes, Adam, but uh, do you have a 20? I mean, do you have a 20 through 11 that you can just I name off real quick? To,
2: well, I didn't commit it to paper, but there are some things that I admired. Roma, of course, was one. Um, I mentioned that earlier. Uh, I'm just kind of going by memory here. One that I bear that almost made the list that I think is really very well done is The Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling, which is another yes, HBO documentary. TV thing. Yeah. And uh I thought that was just extraordinary. Uh I I it's been such a long time since I saw a movie that gave such great insight into the creative process. Uh, and I think that movie did such an exemplary job of articulating that and his his inner turmoil and struggles to become a, a comic. It's four and a half hours, but it's yeah, it has never five boring. hours to do it. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah it's uh, yeah, but it's never boring. It's yeah. never boring. Yeah, uh, it's the best thing. It's the best
0: thing. Apatow's done.
2: Exactly, uh, it really is. Me. And um, so the, those were. A couple of things that uh, and and Buster Scruggs, I wanted to to uh, say about that. I it. didn't love it. Uh, it's not in my, but I I admired it. Let me just. I'm you laughed
1: at myself. it. Come on. Oh,
2: well, I did. The <laughs> first the first segment, I laughed myself silly. I know? just wanted
1: that character to die immediately. Oh, I thought it was
2: hysterical. I was in, no. I was in the floor.
0: Almost I thought, the floor I, thought, I thought his I thought I thought his eternally happy uh, reactions were very funny. It's And oh, yeah, yeah. uh, I, yeah, I like, I like, uh, I like some of it. I mean, I thought it was. Yeah, a, me too. Uh, typical of an anthology film, that some, some. Yeah, some from. pieces uh, work and some uh, don't. You know, I did yeah, not think thought, the man. the one with um, James Franco resonated. I, I, I did find I, that the I, one with I, the Another character. I wanted to that. die.
1: <laughs> yeah. What now? You did find what?
0: The one with uh, Liam Neeson resonates a little bit because it it did feel like an authentic story told across you know thirty pages that leaves kind of an imprint, as as horrible as the ending of that particular story was. Mm.
1: I I think that uh, since I uh, I watch I got a screener for it I don't know if I will return to it but I still have the screener so maybe I don't know it'll, it'll have to be a homework assignment but um for me my uh my supplemental top 10 would include uh The King Eugene Jarecki's uh uh documentary uh comparing uh the current era of Trump with uh Elvis Presley's career and returning to Elvis Presley country in Tennessee and so forth to uh to examine how uh, Trump policies and and just general policies have uh, have affected the poor, and uh, I did love The Hate You Give. I would put that at number twelve, and number thirteen for me would be Worker, which which we were instrumental in uh, in uh, spurring on Tony Ziera's debut documentary about the relationship between uh, Leon Vitali. Uh, and uh, Stanley Kubrick, uh, Leon was Stanley Kubrick's assistant for twenty some odd years, and uh, I thought that was one of the best docs of the year. He really deserves uh, high acclaim for that. Black Klansman would be next. Uh, you were never really here, Lynn Ramsey's incredible, uh, incredible uh, examination of of a, a man descending into uh, into a sort of insanity uh while he's on the job, uh, with an incredible performance by um by Joaquin Phoenix. I liked the Mule quite a bit, uh which is probably going to be Clint Woods' last appearance on, in front of the camera. Uh but uh, behind the camera too I th- thought that, that was a really enjoyable movie. Uh, I loved uh, Shoplifters, uh Hirokazu Koreata's uh wonderful drama, uh Japanese drama. Um uh, I think he's he's one of the geniuses of world cinema and has never been never never made a bad movie. Uh and uh I would agree that uh Death of Stalin deserves to be part of it. And then one of my two of my favorite uh obscure movies of the year, uh uh Andrew Support the Girls, which I think is uh, I really, really love and I can't wait to see it again. Uh, with uh, Regina Hall in the lead as the manager of a kind of Hooters-type restaurant and trying to manage a typical day uh, that's very trying for her and her team. And I love all the girls in it, and uh, and uh, I just thought it was funny and moving and uh, has, had its finger on the pulse of real working people. And uh, I also loved uh, Paul Greengrass's very harrowing look at at a shooting in uh uh, uh norway sweden uh twenty two july is uh really you know brings brings to us again paul greengrass's superb uh uh a method of covering events that we've heard enough about, but he's able to do it in such a way that uh brings them back to life again and uh, uh i just think that that, uh, think that that movie really deserves some attention that it hasn't gotten and one other title i have to say 21 would be border the swedish movie that's also sort of uh, uh ali abassi's swedish movie about uh two unusual characters that fall in love in a very unusual way and uh this is uh Eva, Melinda's uh, uh, lead performance is very unusual given behind uh, incredible makeup. That's the one off nomination it will get. But uh, I think the screenplay deserves uh, uh, some consideration too. It's written by uh, the writer of Let the Right One In. Um, And so this is a a good companion piece to that movie. But one of the more unusual love stories of the year. And... uh, and and such a great year i have such uh, i i have 20 other movies to recommend but uh the day that this show drops i will be uh posting an article on filmicability filmicability.blogspot.com which is my blog and you can read all about my movie watching of the year which i watched over 20 over 500 movies and they're all listed up there <laughs> so uh Uh, so that'll be available by the time you're listening to this you can go and check that out